right, everybody. Good morning and welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Hai Trung. Uh, I would like to welcome my uh, friend and colleague, Danielle. Uh, welcome, Danielle. Hi. Well, uh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So I'm very excited because she has a wonderful experience working with different organizations, getting in there and consulting them, helping them figure out how to develop a healthy, productive, and conducive work environment uh, that is informed by uh, experience in social work. So would you like to give us a little bit of preface of what you do and why you do it? Sure. So a little bit about me. Um, I really started my career in leadership and team development eight years ago. Um, I was in biotech management and I was quickly promoted to middle manager um, where I was tasked with leading a team but also improving employee morale or employee engagement in order for us to really meet our goals. Um, So that's really where the love of collaboration and teamwork Um, came about and I could tell you from personal experience it was a steep learning curve when I was promoted from a technical worker to a more leadership oriented or visionary worker so to speak um, or at least the position I wanted to play in that organization Um, you know it was a steep learning curve I had a lot to learn about engagement and talking to people um, and really fostering team camaraderie Um, you know so because I was so interested in that and because I had that experience, I actually went to social work school at USC um, in order to continue to foster that human element. And I always went in with the intention to serve organizations. I wanted to go back to the workplace. And the reason for that is because I believe we spend so much of our adult life at work. We really, you know, it it's you know, especially here in America, it's tied a lot to our identity. You know, it's, hi, my name is Danielle. I'm an organizational social worker. I'm an Mm -hmm. organizational consultant. And so it's very much tied to our identity. And so when we're spending so much time at work, um, there is a need, at least from my perspective, to develop a community or develop a workplace culture that is conducive to helping people thrive. Um, You know, because... It's my belief that when we go to work, we don't always leave work at work and home at home. Sometimes there's this blend of the two, and um, it really affects us as people. It affects our families. It affects our relationships, and then ultimately affects our communities. Um, you know, and so seeing it from a very holistic perspective, seeing it maybe from a systems, whether it's political, social, economic Um, a system lens, that's really where I use my social work practice in order to build more community in workplaces, foster that communication, and foster um, really that workplace wellness. Excellent. So thank you for prefacing that for us. And I think it's kind of interesting how we even met in the first place. Uh, We actually met through a uh, women's business uh, accelerator, and I was very fortunate uh, though I identify as male, to be accepted into that program and for us to go through that together. And I'm kind of curious to see, you know, from the time that we've completed that program, which is about four months ago, how have you gone out there and worked with the community and what's been resonating when you go and talk to people or consult with them? For me, when I think about working life over the past 12 years that I've been in the workforce, 
from a more professional standpoint, not flipping burgers in and out, is that it is a strange experience. We often go into these environments not knowing what to expect. We kind of get a taste of it after our interview. They'll say, hey, this is what our culture is like. But you really don't know what the culture is like until you get in there and you spend five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve months or more in that space and you see how your neighbor operates whether or not you have a full cubicle wall, a fourth of a cubicle wall, <laughs> half a cubicle wall, you're doing a back-to-back situation. I've seen all manner of work configurations that uh, dramatically affect morale and energy. I'm just really curious. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the expert. You know, what have you seen um, even when you go into these places? What have you observed? You know, I think that's a great point about talking about the interview process and what we think a job will be like. And I frequently say I um, I say, you know, the only time we're asked, why do you want to work here is at the interview process. And I'm like, why aren't we having this continued conversation at three months, at six months to ensure that our employees are a happy that be they're thriving and I guess from an organizational standpoint and we're providing the opportunity for them to thrive right. but also a two-way conversation where the employee can then communicate with us as an organization to say maybe it wasn't the right fit a lot of the stuff you're bringing up maybe the cubicle isn't what I thought um, right. you know the work dynamic isn't really what I wanted and it's really hard to to assess and diagnose your thriving culture until you go out and try it out and so People that are um, graduating and entering the workforce is, you know, graduation season. There's a lot of applicants out there. Absolutely. Um, you know, and they're very eager to get a job. They're very eager to start their professional life and professional career. Right. Um, and, you know, just like anybody else who's changing careers or who's going into another establishment, it's really hard to understand what that culture is until you're in it um, and really understand what you need to be successful in your role and really what your role is and a lot of that clarity. And so a lot of what I do with organizations is getting clear, getting clear about what roles each person plays, how that interacts with the organizational goal, um, but also what their interest is in improving employee empowerment and what their stance is on that. And um, I know when I talk to them. Sometimes it could be a little bit daunting. It's a it's a large task, and I I find that culture is some is one of those things where companies kind of set it and forget it. Yes. Um, and it, it does require it's your organization is leave, living and breathing. It's changing all the time because the people that are in it are changing all the time. You know, the social economic climate is changing all the time. It's just, there's a lot of fluctuation and I'm not saying that it's impossible um, to make any positive changes to organizations. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying it needs maybe this constant priority. Um, just like it's a priority to meet your business outcomes, just like it's a priority to meet your policy or compliance issues, um, culture should really be up there as well. I appreciate your input on that. And, you know, for the premise of this show is unpacking what we think we know. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. I think culture is a very loaded term, Mm -hmm. just like leadership is a loaded term. Even now in an era of everybody wanting to do more on their own for themselves, which I think is wonderful, 
even hustle and entrepreneurship are all loaded terms and management is another loaded term. So when we really unpack these things and if we go through the five W test where you just ask why someone does something five times, once they get to maybe the second or third iteration of that question, I think things start getting a little bit uncomfortable because now you have to really be granular about justifying and explaining and understanding not only the rationale for your behavior, but then deep down to your core, what's informing the behavior that you're you're kind of instituting system-wide, whether it's five people, three people, 500 people. And one thing that I would like to get your perspective on is whether or not this uh, desire to appear attractive to a younger work demographic um, needs to have some of these tendons. So for example, even though some of the world's biggest companies have had open desk layouts, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that everybody wants nor is the most productive in that. And so I've seen a lot of non-traditional work environments still put within institutionally very traditional companies and markets where that layout doesn't make sense, but they do it in order to appeal as a, hey, here's your snack bar. Here's where you can, you know, uh, you can bring your dog or cat to work once a month. But ultimately, these people are still stressed out. Uh, They don't know where they're going or what their purpose is. I wouldn't say that they're clocking in and clocking out, but I've certainly been in working environments myself within my first or second career where I wasn't really sure whether this was the norm or this was just kind of eccentric management practice. Mm, mm-hmm. No, I totally agree where, um, you know, there was a huge calling for the nap pods a while back. Right. Um Certainly within the last 10 years, the nap pods, the, the replenished snack machines and everything. And now we're, there are studies and kind of anecdotes that show that sometimes the open layout doesn't work for people. Right. The clo- just like the closed layout didn't work for people. And it's right. kind of like, you know, organizations are also trying to understand themselves and understand and learn so they can appeal to workers right. or employees that are coming in. Um and I like to touch on your point of discomfort when we start really digging deep, um, you know, because just like when we dig deep within ourselves, start asking ourselves why I did that, why I responded that why, that way, why um, did I interact with that friend that way and then really drive down to maybe the core issue or the root cause. It's really um, sometimes difficult. It's Absolutely. sometimes hard to really um, resolve that. Right. And um, just a little social work plug, I would like to say maybe because we, A, haven't thought about things that we do that deeply, but B, we get a little bit unstable in thinking that and knowing our coping mechanisms are not at that level Right. So we have to be there, but we also have to be ready. We can't be diving in to a situation um, that's going to cause us, you know, stress or havoc because we really don't know how to cope and deal with it. Right. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. We're human. We're going to have experiences that sometimes we're not ready for. um, And we'll lean towards different sources that make us feel ready enough to to really take that challenge head on. Hmm. And I like to communicate with my clients and organizations, you know, in addition to working with employees, is that organizations are the same way. Sometimes, you know, the questions that I ask them are 
they're not meant to agitate, but you know, inadvertently they agitate. Yeah. They strike a chord. Um, yeah. You know, and it makes people uncomfortable, especially leadership. Right. It makes people uncomfortable because, you know, it almost feels like, um, like someone is watching over you, and you feel maybe ashamed or right. embarrassed that you're doing something quote unquote wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to try to empower my clients to say, no, it's, you're doing the best with what you know. You're doing the best with what you think have served you and served you this long. Right. All I'm encouraging you to do is to think of alternatives, um, other ways that it can be, and really try to support them in that process. And I think that's where my social work background really comes into effect, where you know, um, the worst thing for someone in my position to do is to come in and say, oh, you guys are doing this all wrong. You guys, you know, because yeah. it's it's served the organization for quite some time. Um, and it's really learning to work with the organization in their strengths um, to help them really become the organization they want to be, the organization they envision going in the next five years or, you know, for example. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of um, very sensitive issue sometimes when you bring up these um, challenges but I think if you could be a supportive and a little bit vulnerable and that's from my perspective as well I also have to model and show that um, that I'm willing to to support and help the organization in that way Um, that becomes pretty powerful when when we're able to go through that journey together I tend to agree with you and over the years in the moment, I will not say that I was always the most calm and collected. A lot of times I let certain environmental or workplace circumstances affect my well-being and my sense of self-worth and my sense of value and productivity. And only maybe a year or so after some of those experiences did I finally begin to kind of settle in and understand that a lot of the behavior that these individuals who are in positions of influence and leadership and power oftentimes they're just modeling after what was done when they were in my position so a lot of it is hey i was micromanaged very heavily so therefore i will micromanage everyone else after me because that's the only way right or hey i'm only going to be a big picture person i don't get my hands dirty i don't need to know how all this works mm-hmm. I'll go find people to do it and I'll just I'll just do my thing mm-hmm. and then everyone else will pick up the pieces after me, you know. Right. And so I've learned over the years that trying to change those people is a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the few occasions where I've ever seen that happen is when they bring in an outside consultant. Only then when an outside consultant is validating what is happening from the inside from the other individuals have I seen systemic change. I wouldn't say happen uh, wholesale, but in in small pieces and in small segments. So from what you've seen interacting with individuals when you go out and network and just try to understand the demographic that you're trying to serve, what do you see as a good sign that an organization is actually willing to take some steps to change as opposed to one that still needs a little bit more time? Mm -hmm. Um, That is really a good question. you know, because some organizations might not think they are ready, but by their behaviors and their movement um, and the way they're talking about themselves, 
um, they seem ready. And so some of those indicators that I like to pick up on is whether an organization or um, decision-making bodies, you know, if so to speak, um, are ready for maybe some systemic change or, or ready to kind of open themselves up um, to my work and a little bit of what I do, um, or any consultant for that matter, is really um, if they are interested in learning. So if they're curious, they're maybe if if maybe what I say piques their interest, um, something like that is really promising because we can have continued conversation of what's going on. Um, organizations, just like people, are um, very individualized. They're very you know case by case basis. At least the way that I work with them, they have their own set of rules and values and subconscious beliefs and everything. Um, you know, so so it is their services are going to be tailored to them. But if they're curious, if they're curious in what I do and they're asking the questions and you can see them kind of figuring out how it might play into their work or their role. Um, those are the organizations, I think, um, that should be given promise. Definitely, um, because although they may not feel ready today, they're getting themselves ready um, to, you know, s to start something new within themselves. Maybe they're just waiting for um, the right time, so to speak. But any way they're going to get more comfortable with making that decision to hire a consultant and to come in for employee um, engagement or culture shifting. Um, that curiosity piece is really what I like to see in organizations because um, it, it means they're somewhat engaged. That makes a lot of sense to me. And let's uh, give a shout out to all the people out there that are willing to admit that they don't know it all and that they would like to, or if at some point in their life they did know it all, that the world is changing a little bit and that they'd be willing to look at their current situation and how people, resources, and even space is laid out in order to engender a sense of community, a mm -hmm. sense of loyalty, and a sense of of uh, genuine enthusiasm and excitement for the thing that we spend almost half, if not more, of yes. our lives doing, which is work. And whether you're doing it independently or for someone else, there is always going to be this sense of needing to make sure that you're uh, fulfilling the promise of not burning yourself out in order to keep it sustainable. So it is graduation season. What would you encourage for all of these new graduates and even people that are maybe two or three years removed? Maybe they got into a first job and maybe it's not mm -hmm. the job for them. A lot of these employers, this is the future of their workforce as their other you know, uh, more seasoned staff eventually retire. Right. What is a, a message that you would like to share with these folks? I love this question. Hi, I love this question. Um, you know, because as we find ourselves very eager to find a job, I think um, there's a lot of energy, but also there's a lot of pressure. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We put mm -hmm. a lot of pressure, you know, on each other to find a job. I mean, you know, you'll see the notification of maybe you're, your um, colleagues in school or your peers getting jobs and they're springing up and it's just not happening for you. And it will happen. Um, 
But my biggest advice is to really take things in stride, like enjoy the journey of finding the job, finding and exploring your next chapter. Um, And really, if you're finding that it's a little bit difficult to, you know, stay motivated or stay positive or stay optimistic about what's going on, um, really start thinking about thinking back of what you've done to get here. You know, whether it's the education or whether you know, like, what are your strengths? You know, it's a lot of what I do with my clients as well. Like, what are your strengths? What are you already good at? You know, what have you done? And I know that sometimes we think that, oh, everyone could do it. Everyone could, you know, everyone graduates or everyone um, can connect with people. But no, this no one's going to connect in your way. Or no one's going to graduate in your way with, you know, it's no one's going to have the same path. So I'd encourage you to just think of your strengths. Think of how you got here. Um, Think of even certain situations um, where you felt like you thrived or where you felt you felt your best. Um, You know, it's a it's a feel good uh, practice that you could do throughout your life. but I'd also like to say these are probably anecdotes that you will use in an interview, right? If you start to write and um, channel in that energy that way. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of pressure surrounded with these times. Um, but I'd encourage to to explore the journey and have us, you know, have have fun with it. You just hit a, you just did a huge accomplishment. In graduating and you know celebrate that celebrate yourself a little bit um, and call on strengths and um, maybe your core values as well in order to bring you back up when those days are a little bit um, when when those days are a little bit harder to get through 100% I don't think I could have said it any better myself and from a person who very successfully started a memoir at 23 and very successfully unsuccessfully did not finish that memoir by 24 uh, it is okay to also start and not finish things because it doesn't make sense for your life Mm -hmm. i think uh, i'm not working on a memoir right now but i'm sure they would have a lot more content than what i had at 23 and there were certainly years that i spent following college where i lived on nothing but oatmeal Mm -hmm. i lived on my own that sounds a lot more exciting than it actually is i was running in the room not in the back of someone's house but directly attached they had weird rules about how to use a refrigerator oh, uh, <laughs> it was a couple that i thought were retired they were definitely not retired mm-hmm. they were partying all day and all night so life will take you in some fun fantastic and interesting directions which is exactly how you and i became acquainted right so thank you so much and if people want to find you where can they find you uh, you can find me um, I'm on LinkedIn Facebook Instagram or you could go to my website and be linked in and find all that information there. It's daniellecelara.com. Um, yeah. Excellent. Love to hear from you. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on to our show today. We're going to move on out into some music just to let people kind of let all of this absorb into their mind and see how they feel about it. For your Thursday morning, we hope this has been helpful. We hope it has been fun. Certainly has been for us. We wish you all a beautiful and wonderful Thursday morning. And today's guest has been Danielle Lara. Thank Thank you. you.